0: Chapter 3 of The Call of the Wildflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Call of the Wildflower by Henry Salt. Chapter 3 by Ditch and Dyke. On either side is Level Fen, a prospect wild and wide. Crab levels or brooks is the name commonly given in sussex to a number of grassy tracts often of wide extent which though still in a state of semi-wildness have been so far reclaimed from primitive fens as to afford a rough pasturage for horses and herds of cattle the ground being drained and intersected by dikes and sluggish streams in these spacious and unfrequented flats wild fowl of various kinds are often to be seen herons stand motionless by the pools or flap slowly away if disturbed in their meditation peewits wheel and cry overhead and the red shank most clamorous of birds during the nesting season makes such a din as almost to distract the attention of the intruding botanist for it is the botanist who is specially drawn to these wild waterways where hours may be profitably spent in strolling beside the brooks with the certainty of seeing many interesting plants and the chance of finding some unfamiliar ones nor is there anything to mar his enjoyment except the possible meeting with a bull on a wide arena from which there is no ready exit save by jumping a muddy ditch or by crossing one of the narrow and precarious planks which do duty as footbridges. these levels though often bordering on a tidal river are not themselves salt marshes nor is their flora a maritime one In that respect, they differ from the east-coast fens described by Crabbe in one of his tales, The Lover's Journey, a passage which has been praised as one of the best pictures ever given of dyke-land scenery. There are lines in it which might be quoted of the Sussex as well as of the Suffolk March Meadows, but for me the verses are spoiled by the strangely apologetic tone which the poet assumed in speaking of the local plants. The few dull flowers that o'er the place are spread, partake the nature of their fenny bed. And so on. Did he think that his polite readers expected to hear of sweet peas and carnations beautifying the desolate mud banks? The dullness seems to be, well, not on the part of the flowers. Dull as ditchwater, they say, but ditchwater flowers are far from dull of sussex marshes the most extensive are the pevensey levels but the most pleasantly situated are those that lie just south of lewes where the valley of the ouse widens into an oval plain before it narrows again towards new haven from the central part of this alluvial basin the view is very striking all around for the estuary seems to be everywhere enclosed except to seaward by the great smooth slopes of the chalk downs on its west side are three picturesque villages Rodmell and south East, with churches and farms lying on the very verge of the brooks at the head the quaint old houses and castle of lewes rise conspicuous like a mediaeval town but to whichever of these watery wastes the flower-lover betakes himself he will not lack for occupation one of the first friends to greet him in the early summer by the loose levels will be the charming hotonia or water violet as it is misnamed for though the petals are pink its yellow eye in general form proclaim it to be of the primiculosae and water primrose should by preference be its title there are few prettier sights than a company of these elegant flowers Rising clear above the surface, their slender stems bearing whorls of the pink blossoms, while the dark green feather like leaves remain submerged. This feather foil, as it is sometimes called, is as lovely as the primrose of the woods. Companions or near neighbors of the Hatonia are the arrowhead, at once recognized by its bold sagittate leaves, and the frogbit another flower of three white petals whose small reniform foliage floating on the brooks gives it the appearance of a dwarf water-lily by no means common but growing in profusion where it grows at all the dainty little frogbit, once met with always remains a favourite the true water-lilies both the white and the yellow are also native on the levels so too is the quaint water-milfoil with its much-cut submerged leaves resembling those of the featherfoil, and its numerous erect flower spikes dotting the surface of the pools all these water-nymphs may be seen simultaneously blossoming in june more prominent than such small aquatics are the tall growing kinds which lift their heads two or three feet above the waters of these quite the handsomest is the flowering rush Butomus, stately and pink-petalled among the rest are the two water plantains the lesser one rather uncommon the water speedwell a gross and bulky veronica which lacks the charm of its smaller relative the brooklime and the queer mare's tails which in the midst of a running stream look like a number of tiny fir trees out of their element the umbelliferous family is also well represented wild celery is there and the showy water parsnip seum the graceful tubular water dropwort and its big neighbour the horsebane which in some places swells to an immense size in the centre of the ditches on the margin grows the pretty trailing moneywort or creeping jenny and with it maybe the white-blossomed brookweed or water pimpernel which at first sight has more likeness to the crucifers than to its real relatives the primroses and is thus apt to puzzle those by whom it has not previously been encountered rambling beside these so-called brooks which are mostly not brooks but channels of almost stagnant water one cannot fail to remark the clannishness of many of the flowers they grow in groups monopolizing nearly the whole length of a ditch and making a show by their united array of leaves or blossoms in one part perhaps the slim water violet predominates then as you turn a corner a long vista of arrowheads meets the eye nothing but arrowheads between bank and bank their sharp barbed foliage topping the surface in a phalanx or again you may come upon fifty yards of frogbit, a multitude of small green bucklers that entirely hide the water, or a radiant colony of water-lilies whose broad leaves make the intrusion of other aquatics scarcely possible, and provide a cool pavement for wagtail and moorhen to walk on it is noticeable too that the lesser water plantain unlike the greater is almost confined to one section of the levels and in like manner the brookweed and the marigold have each occupied for their headquarters the banks of a particular dyke the fringed buckbean velarcia is said to be an inhabitant of these brooks i have not seen it there but it may be found sparsely in the river ouse a short distance above Loos where its round leaves float on the quiet backwaters like those of a large frog-bit or a small water-lily though the botanists tell us it is a gentian I remember that on the first occasion when i saw it there on a late summer day there was only a single blossom left and as that was on a deep pool several yards from the bank there was no choice but to swim for it the great yellow cress nasturtium amphibium a glorified cousin of the familiar watercress is also native on the ooze above Loos, less frequently below more spacious than the loose levels but drearier and on the whole less interesting are those of pevensey which cover a wide tract to the east of hailsham formerly an inlet of the sea where the sites of the few homesteads that rise above the flat meadows such as chili and horse-eye were once islands in the bay walking north from pevensey by a road which traverses this inhospitable flat one sees the walls of Hurstmontso castle in front on what was originally the coastline. on either side of the highway is a maze of ditches and dykes among which rare flowers are to be found notably the broad-leaved pepperwort the largest and most remarkable of its family and the great spearwort said to be locally plentiful near the bladderwort reputed common on these marshes seems to have become much scarcer than it was twenty years back for other flowers other fenny tracts may be sought henfield common for instance has the bog bean the marsh st john's wort and still better the marsh Saint but of all Sussex water meadows with which I am acquainted, the richest are the Amberley wild brooks, which lie below Pulborough, adjacent to the tidal stream of the Arran, a piece of partially drained bogland, which, in a wet winter season, is apt to be flooded anew, and to revert to its primitive state of swamp it is a glorious place to wander over on a sunny august afternoon with the great escarpment of the downs and the ever-prominent Shanstonbury ring close in view to the south and in a long summer day the expedition can be combined with a visit to arundel park only three miles distant the best of parks as being the least park-like and most natural and having a goodly store of the wild flowers that are dwellers upon chalk hills the amberley wild brooks possess this great merit that in addition to most of the aquatics and dyke-like plants above mentioned they present a fine display of the tall riverside flowers their wet hollows that teem with frogbit arrowhead water parsnip water plantain yellow cress glaucous stitchwort and other choice things are fringed here and there with purple loosestrife and with marsh woundwort almost equal to the loosestrife in size and colour and mingling with these in like luxuriance are yellow loosestrife tansy toad flax and water ragwort a brilliant combination of purple flowers and gold then as if the better to set off this spectacle there is in some places a background of staid and massive herbs like the great water-dock and bulrushes and reeds of such deep green as soothe the dazzled eye with sober sheen one would fear that this wealth of diverse hues might even become embarrassing were it not that the heart of the flower lover is insatiable End of chapter 3